Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Autism Stories. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their insights. If you would like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review, as it will help others to learn about autism stories. On today's episode, Tree Lily Butcher joins us to discuss throwing a party after learning they were autistic, how everyone is born an artist, and the impact of collage on their life. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Tree, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Doug. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and I'd love to start our conversation by learning about your story. Where does your story in the autistic community begin? So it's a pretty wild story, actually. On April 15th of this year, 2023, I was in a pretty traumatic car wreck with my son where I hit my forehead on the steering wheel of my Chevy Silverado. Spiritually, I feel like I hit my third eye and woke up to a bunch of things in my life. Uh, This radically changed my life for the better, I would say. This is not uncommon among the artistically inclined. For instance, think of the traumatic bus accident that catapulted Frida Kahlo, who some may say was incorrectly diagnosed narcissistic personality disorder, and would instead be considered on the spectrum of autism today. She was propelled into the world of art after this traumatic experience. It was not ideal for me either, but I started to question everything. And the wreck made me really pause and reflect on my life and what I knew to be quote unquote normal. After this, I was then diagnosed with PTSD. And while researching what that actually is, because I feel like in this society and culture at large, we throw around things like OCD or PTSD or anxiety without actually knowing what those mean. So me being me, I wanted to do a deep dive into what actually that is. I actually came across a Venn diagram comparing PTSD to ASD, and I was just pretty shocked. I never in my wildest dreams or nightmares thought I was autistic. It never was on the plate. It was never talked about. No one ever ever mentioned it to me at all. But then I started looking into autism and was diagnosed within a month of the wreck, having never suspected it in my life. And I'm still struggling to find my autistic community for sure. The loneliness of autism is astonishing and pretty everlasting for me. I kind of have to not trust my brain when I feel like I have no friends because I know I do. But I feel like autism makes it feel like I don't have any friends. And then my immediate family rejected me after the diagnosis. So I had a congrats on the autism party and invited a dozen or so of my friends to come over to my house and talk about autism and what it is. I even made little gift bags with fidget toys and a handmade pamphlet with more information and extended resources for my neurotypical friends. And it was like a really cool coming out party, I guess. And since then, I've been able to connect one-on-one with more autistic people. But my goal is to create more opportunity for us to all connect together in the Nashville community at large. Yeah. I love the congrats on the autism party. I think that's really important, you know, when we learn about our autism to kind of to be able to embrace those things and to kind of help us on a journey to unlearn a lot of things. Why did you decide to 
have that party? Well, I love parties. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was born on Halloween, so I always love bringing people together and exploring identity and really trying on different outfits and different ideas of what oneself is. I actually just did a art gallery show called Be Nobody, where I, I think this actually comes into play with my autism. A year ago, before I knew I was autistic, I was like, I want to shed all these things that I think I know about myself and basically throw myself into the void and question everything. I shaved my head. I started looking into what my sexual preferences are and what my identity and my gender is and all that really came to light. So I think really having the party was another way of coming out in a sense of this is my brain and this is my life and there's no shame, I guess, because because I feel like my superpower isn't autism, but vulnerability that comes from being autistic because I don't have the social cues or whatever to like really be embarrassed as much as friends of mine who are neurotypical get. I've always been very honest to a fault and maybe to the annoyance of others. But uh, yeah, I just thought that if people want to be in my life, especially having been rejected by my family for my autism diagnosis, I needed to really know who my true friends were and have people show up for me. Now, I read where you said, I truly believe everyone is born an artist. The imaginative world of a child is as natural as rain and more expansive than the universe itself, which I definitely believe that myself. I'm wondering in what ways do you think people can keep this imagination as we age? Great question. Keeping an inquisitive mindset is key. I mean, that's what I've been really doing the past year of my life is just really being inquisitive of my own experience instead of just allowing things to happen to me or at me. I don't like being a passive person in my life. I come from a lot of trauma as a child. So especially being undiagnosed autistic, it was just not ideal. I felt like a lot of out of control. It was my life was very out of control for a long, long time. So I'm really anxious about the unknown and the unknowable. I don't enjoy it, but I seek it as much as I can these days because that's where things get interesting. It's where lightning strikes and where the it factor comes into play. As the late, great David Bowie once said, if you feel safe in the area you're working in, you're not working in the right area. Always go a little further into the water than you feel you're capable of being in. Go a little bit out of your depth, and then when you feel that your feet are not quite touching the bottom, you're just about in the right place to do something exciting. And I really believe that. I'm trying to make sure that in my life I do it in a safe manner, but I also do it in a manner where I'm challenging myself and challenging my thoughts because of the black and white thinking and the catastrophic thinking. It's really hard for me to put feelings and emotions and physicality into context where it's like, oh, everything's either great and it's like manic and beautiful and I am nothing and I'm everyone I see and it's all love or I'm dying. I can't wake up in the morning. I can't do anything. You're clearly using your imagination as you're an artist and recently as you just mentioned had an exhibit called be a nobody can you tell us a little bit about the the exhibit for those that might not be familiar with it 
Yeah, so the book Be Nobody by Alana Marie was the inspiration for this exhibition. And it had a simple premise. It says on the back of the book, we are all desperately trying to be somebody. Nobody wants to be a loser, a small fry, a big zero, a washout, a non-entity. Nobody, it seems, wants to be a nobody. And this race to be somebody only creates suffering. Be Nobody is a collection of collages made entirely by hand. There's no Photoshop. There's no computer renditions or additions to them. And they're all centered around the question of if I were alone in the universe, who would I be? How would I present myself? And what would I believe? The answer is nobody. Inspired also in part by my favorite poem by Emily Dickinson, I'm Nobody, Who Are You? So this reflection is a reflection of my own spiritual transformation through autism, honestly, this year. I started the collection last year. I only maybe did seven pieces, but then once I figured out that I was autistic, I, it ended up being up almost 50 pieces, including three-dimensional shadow boxes and pieces that were like 72 inches tall and 48 inches wide. I mean, I did a lot of extreme art therapy, I guess. <laughs> and it was, yeah, I'm still trying to be nobody. And the more I try to be nobody, the less I suffer, I feel. From what I understand, you upcycle unwanted vintage physical materials into high-end hand-cut collage. What are some physical materials that others didn't want that maybe thought was trash that you turned into beautiful art? Yeah, a bunch of the pieces in the Be Nobody collection were made using salvaged family photographs that were saved from being thrown away or sold at yard sales, estate sales. Most of these places will have a few boxes of these memories lying around and so sad to see these moments that in the moment were of such importance to be saved on film and now reduced to garbage. It's it's tragic to me. It's very nostalgic and heartbreaking. I had to do something with them. I couldn't didn't leave these places without a box of these photos of these strangers. I had to do something and I did. So I made them the heart of my exhibition. It's very funny to me that these people who do not know me do not know each other or the audience and they hung in a gallery. It's very fascinating stuff. And I think two of the most impactful pieces that I did, one was a square canvas that was 48 inches by 48 inches. And it has all these photos of these kids from the nineties, eighties, seventies. And in the middle, I painted on it, congrats on the autism. And that's what I did the day I found out I was autistic. And that one I've, put out several times like at different events and people always stop, take a picture, take a picture with it, talk to me about it. Hey, my son, hey, I am, hey, my mom. It's a very huge connector and it's really gotten me thinking about the future of my art and like what I want to say to people and how, how my autism is going to really be an asset in my business instead of I guess, a liability. It's still a disability and I'm not negating that because there are things that I cannot do and I'm learning that. I'm learning to try to accommodate myself. But at the same time, I want to have these emotional and spiritual experiences with strangers about autism and how prevalent it is and how everyone's touched by it and demystify the, I guess the ableism that is involved in a lot of these people's minds because they look at me and they don't think that I'm autistic. They don't think that. It was really fascinating to have that congrats on the autism piece 
And then the other one that's very impactful was even larger. It was the 72 inch by 48 inch big one. And it was uh, the same premise. It has all these photos of all these people from all walks of life who don't know each other. And I painted a ghost on it, just the outline of a ghost. And it's called, I'm a ghost, but I don't think I've died. And I scratched out everyone's faces to make them look like ghosts. And I had people cry in front of that piece. And that piece to me is what autism feels like. It feels like I'm a ghost and I have not died. I feel disconnected from my body. I feel disconnected from other people. I dissociate a lot. I don't know if I'm hungry. I don't know if I'm cold or tired. I mean, it's a very weird experience being autistic. And I didn't know that that was a weird experience until it was told to me. The root word of autism is autos in Greek means self. You know, I am in myself and I'm of myself. I'm not of this world, I'm in the world. So that's kind of how I view my autism. But yeah, those are the two pieces that were really just impactful and kind of devastating to people in such a beautiful and spiritual way. Yeah, I had seen a picture of your congrats, um, your autism uh, art. And I just, I when I looked at it, when I saw it, I had a big smile on my face. And I imagined being almost like a fly on the wall being at that exhibit and some people walking by and just even being confused about it <laughs> and just seeing what yeah, the reaction must be. So it's great to hear you had some really positive reactions to that. Yeah, I'm really pleased with the outcome of it. It got a lot of good conversation and that's what art's supposed to do is supposed to hit you, you know? And I think it really hit a lot of people deep and it really showed me like, oh, like this is okay to talk about. I've spent so much of my life suffering silently that I've vowed to myself and I'm going to start healing loudly. Now, I'm very much interested in the idea of how we adapt to change um, in a healthy way. And I saw that you wrote changes at the very core of hand-cut collage. So I'm very much wondering how collaging has helped you personally to adapt to change in your life. Hmm. Collaging for me is a way to tunnel into the moment and worship it. It's a way to fully become the witness of my life. Definitely kind of little spooky, cute ghost vibes, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I personally don't believe I'm the creator of my art or my life, but I feel more like a bystander. When I collage, I really don't approach it with anything in mind. In fact, I try to clear my mind as much as possible. And with the OCD and anxiety side of autism, it's very hard for me to get away from my intrusive thoughts. But the only real time that I don't have all these intrusive thoughts is when I'm sleeping or my collaging. And when I clear my mind and I'm open to change, it's like I'm putting together a puzzle of which the final picture is unknown. I surprise myself a lot and I don't, I'm not gonna say like every collage is a slam dunk and amazing, but every collage to me is just a meditation and letting go of my expectations. And since I don't use Google or a computer, I use old magazines. It's kind of like a scavenger hunt. And I also have the media of it the hunt of it. It's like, okay, like if I want to find something, it has to feel right. And I really have to let go of what I think is going to fit for what actually the piece needs. And I think the 
most challenging part of collaging is when to stop. Hmm. That's <laughs> when is a piece done? You know, I mean, you can have any artist in any manner of mediums from painting to welding or anything. When is it done? You know, that's the question I have to ask right. myself and that's the hardest one. <laughs> do you just try to, do you feel it or? Yeah, I think I have to kind of ask myself, all right, like, there are a couple of questions when I collage, like, okay, what's the world? Who lives in this world? And what's happening in this world? And those are the three things I keep in mind. But anything else is just too conceptual because I think in visuals, I don't really think in language. So the less words I can use to find pictures, the better. <laughs> yeah. For those that might want to begin to collage but aren't sure kind of where to start, what would be some things you'd suggest? Oh, yeah. I mean, collage is such an easy, affordable hobby. I mean, you can start by collecting magazines and invite your friends and family to donate their old ones to you. You can grab an exacto knife, a cutting mat, some glue, cardstock, you're ready to go. Like, you don't need much. You don't need a lot of room in your house. It's, it's very accessible. Also, I do offer classes in Nashville as well. If anyone wants to learn straight from me, that's an option as well. Well, I have always wanted to go to Nashville, so I, this gives me even more of incentive to come to Nashville one day and uh, take one of your classes. That'd be really fun. Well, thanks so much, Tree, for this conversation. I really enjoyed getting to know you a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And I think if anyone wants to follow me on Instagram or learn more about me, my Instagram handle is Tree Lilies. So that's T R E E L I L I S. Or you can go to my website, treelilybutcher.com. Thanks so much to Tree for the conversation. To learn about Tree and all the cool stuff they're doing, please check out the link in the podcast description for this episode. Here at Autism Personal Coach, our clients are the experts, our coaches are the guides. The majority of supports for autistics are not helpful. They try to fix us, not support us. That's why many are confused when we say our clients are the experts, experts of their lived experience. Our clients are the experts for what's worked for them and about the things that they need and want in their lives. Our coaches first listen to our clients, then ask thoughtful questions, offer resources, and strategize with our clients so they can get what they need to thrive. Would you want a guide in your life to coach you to get the things you desire? If so, then visit AutismPersonalCoach.com for more information. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Autism Stories, and if you did, if you could tell a friend, foe, or anyone you know about it so they could have the same enjoyable and educational experience as you when listening to Autism Stories, it would very much be appreciated. Until next time, I'm Doug Bletcher of Autism Personal Coach. Talk to you then.